church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, whether you have a printed copy, as I always encourage you to bring to church with you, or you have a device with an app on it, I'd like for you to find the book of 2 Corinthians. And when you find the book of 2 Corinthians, I want you to find what will be a pretty familiar passage to you here at Church at the Mill because it's one I've found myself going back to over and over again on special days like today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and this morning in just a few minutes, I'm going to spend only a few minutes in verses 1 through 7. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. If you're a guest and you're walking into a pretty significant day and it's great for you to observe, there's no obligation or ask of you other than to watch what the Lord is doing in our church. But many of you are not guests. You are a part of Church at the Mill. And we come to certain Sundays that really define our future, and this is no doubt one of them. I began more than ever six weeks ago this sermon series uh, with a simple premise that life is full of moments. Many of them are mundane. Many of them are uh, ho-hum. They're everyday activities. But then there are those moments that we look back on and we go, this is a moment in time that determined the trajectory of our lives. And the best way I could describe it as a man of too many words often. I struggled to find the words to describe it. But the best way I could was to describe the moment we find ourselves with three statements. Number one, God has been awful good to our church. He has been so faithful to our church. We have experienced immeasurable blessings, especially since navigating a worldwide pandemic that we all came out of, and many churches are working hard to recover from that. And it is like the Lord hit the gas pedal around here, and we have seen untold numbers of people come into our church, two campuses being birthed. Statistically, I showed you that several weeks ago. I'll not spend time on that, but the point is, by every way we know how to measure to see what the Lord is doing, he's exceeding our expectation. But secondly, and, and poignantly, more than ever, our community needs the gospel. 70% of this county are unchurched. I've been telling you that statistic every week. I won't mention it next week, but every week I've been telling you that statistic because you drove by at least 10 houses today on your way to church at the mill. And when you did, statistically, seven of those 10 homes are not connected to a life-giving, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving church. As I stood and worshiped with you a few moments ago, and they're looking out over you as you sang about the holiness of God, I, I, I have to be honest and tell you, I thought about the number of people who don't understand that this morning. I have no judgment for them. There's no criticism toward them. I just want them to see him for all of who he is, which is why that third statement that we mentioned six weeks ago, more than ever, we as a church must do something about it. And, and when we thought about those three statements and we began to really think about what more than ever could be, we found ourselves in Acts chapter 5. That's not our passage this morning, but this is where the words come from. Luke says, at a time of intense persecution and pain and purging, God began to grow his church. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. It is those words that jumped out to me and members of our leadership. And that's why we decided to call this journey more than ever. 
So what is more than ever? I've been giving you a very clean, clear definition. More than ever is a three-year spiritual journey of generosity to provide financial funding for debt, retirement, and the expansion of more campuses. And it's really connected to our vision. Our desire is to enlist every member in the spiritual and financial journey of supporting our church's vision to become, and here it is, a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful, multi-site church. Now, for those of you who are guests, our multi-site model is built on incarnational preaching, meaning all of our campuses have their own staff and leadership and pastors preaching weekly. In fact, we desire so passionately to never build a multi-site model off of one personality, one character, one communicator. We want to reproduce the next generation of worship leaders and preachers and teachers, laymen and laywomen serving in the various campuses that the Lord would allow us to, to see birthed from this one. And all of it happened, all of it happened in my heart and in the hearts of other men and women when we cut the ribbon on this beautiful facility on Palm Sunday of 2019. And we realized that while this could look like an arrival, this is just the beginning. I believe the weight of responsibility is on every large, dynamic, growing church to leverage its people to reach more people, not by growing bigger in one location, but by seeing life-giving communities of fellowship and preaching and teaching all over this area, and then from that, continue to keep our foot on the gas pedal of church planting and missions. Even this afternoon, there is a meeting happening that we've been telling you about. It's on our website. You can find out more. We're, we're previewing all of the mission trips for 2024. Well, over 20 different teams will go in every corner of the world. And, and our missions pastor told us this morning, he told the pastors, guys, if you want to be on a trip, you better be there because they're all going to fill up quickly. Meaning that we're not even begging people to go. We're working hard to find more opportunities for people to go. And that's the beauty of a healthy church. The hotter the fire burns here at home, the further the light spreads. That's the vision, and that's the direction. And we found ourselves in 2 Corinthians as we've walked through this, because we have three goals for this financial journey. We want to continue to get debt-free, aggressively retire our, de our debt here. We want to secure and prepare physical locations for current and future campuses, we were able, by God's grace and your overwhelming affirmation, to close this week on a purchase you voted on several weeks ago for 10 incredible acres in the center of Woodruff for our Woodruff campus and a facility that certainly got some age on it but has the footprint for us to use for generations to come. And it is those endeavors that require us to make sure that every one of us is a part of that from a financial standpoint. But in addition to the needs of current campuses, there's also thirdly the upfront cost associated with starting campuses. I want to be very clear. Let me tell you what you've never heard. And, and, and I, at this point, I certainly haven't felt led to share this with you, nor how our, have our leaders. We, we've never set a goal about a certain amount of campus in a certain period of time. 
We've really watched God deliver to us the opportunity down in Woodruff, the opportunity at Lake Cooley, the opportunity to engage Asian population with a small congregation that's meeting here this morning in another location. We're praying now about the opportunity to engage the Spanish-speaking community, and I have been very open with you that I feel in my heart the best possible place for us to set our crosshairs on to think about is on the east side of Spartanburg, and we're praying and investigating what that will look like. But no dates have been set and there's no quota to meet because we, won't, we don't want to be an organization driven by numbers. We want to be an organism driven by the Spirit of God. However, just as we see in Scripture, God's people are expected to ready themselves so that when the Lord opens doors, when opportunity comes, we have the means to go forward. And in thinking about that, we've talked about what today is going to mean in the life of our church. Can I just tell you what today's not going to mean? In just a few moments when you make your financial commitment, those of you who feel led to, there's certainly no pressure. When you do that, you are not determining the pursuit. The vision's clear. Today is not determining the pursuit. The vision is clear. But you are determining the pace. In other words, your generosity joined with Laurel and I's generosity and hundreds and hundreds of other families will let us know the pace in which we can continue to reach and to grow. Because in church growth, there's a fine line between foolishness and faithful. We don't want to get out over our skis. We don't want to get in over our waders. We don't want to find ourselves in a position where we make numerical growth or the growth of campuses the goal. Remember what I shared with you two weeks ago? It may sound like we're trying to grow crowds or campuses or cash or capital. Hear me. We want to grow the church. Here's how you grow the church. You grow Christians. So it's about putting people in a position where they can come to know the Lord and then they can grow in their relationship with the Lord. And guess, this is what happens. When a church shares the gospel and a church welcomes Christians in and grows them, all the things that we spend so much energy talking about are merely fruit of God working in their life. And so what we want to do as a church family is just know where we are. What is our appetite for growth? What is it that God is calling us to do? We know. The pace in which we go will be determined in many ways by the generosity of the people in this room and the people at Lake Cooley and the people in Woodruff and those of you who are not able to be with us watching us online and those who will join in this room in just an hour. The vision's clear. We're not moving off the vision. But you, not the pastor on the stage, not a group of men and women in some leadership meeting. You, you will determine the pace. And thinking about that, though, I, I think that it's very important to be honest with people, to be incredibly, almost brutally honest, builds trust because transparency is needed. For many of you, it may be the first time you've ever participated in a Sunday like today. For those of you who are guests, you're thinking, boy, we picked the wrong day to come. Don't worry. As I've told you on several occasions, we don't want anything from you. But let me tell you exactly what the request is from the leaders of the church. Here's the request, and I'll put it on the screen for you. 
Our leaders desire that every family committed to CADM, that's our acronym, Church at the Mill, CADM, give above their tithes and offerings over the next three years to accomplish our goals of aggressively reducing our debt, have the funding necessary to support our campuses, and start new ones. That's the clear request. Now, let me tell you how that works, because I'm one of those families in the middle of the incredibly expensive journey of raising six children, one in college and one in preschool, and I don't know what we were thinking. Participating families can give their commitment weekly, monthly, annually, or as a one-time gift. Most do a combination, as will be seen on First Fruit Sunday. So next week, I'm diving back into the book of Exodus. I have this new sermon series I'm real excited about. It's called Plagued by Pride. And we're going to walk through all the plagues that Moses brought in and Pharaoh succumbed to because of his disobedience. I can't wait. So so next week, we're going to dive right back into doing what we always do. Worship, love on one another, and preach the Bible. I'm excited about that. But at the end of the year, as you begin thinking about year-end giving, we're going to take an opportunity for every family that makes a commitment and any family that chooses not to, to make a year-end contribution to more than ever to seed this offering. But beyond that, many of you are going to give like Laurel and I give. Our income doesn't come in annually. My income comes in monthly, actually every two weeks because of this gracious church that I work for. That's how our men and women on staff are paid. And, and therefore, what Laurel and I do is we pray, what can we give monthly? And then, of course, that equates into a number that we can make. And typically what we do is we decide what a monthly number is, and then we dig deep or we look for opportunities as income may come in other places to give above and beyond that. We don't want anyone to jot down a number that's not realistic. But we also don't want anyone to commit to a number that doesn't cost you something. And this is the great journey of generosity. So as you think about that, be reminded that we've tied it back into our values. We have six values at Church at the Mill. And that's all I've preached on the last few weeks. We value the gospel of God in all things, the word of God in preaching, the glory of God in worship, the legacy of God in the next generation, the growth of God in us, the mission of God to the nations, and the love of God in community. And the reason that we've taken a lot of time to unpack those, both in preaching and podcast and public uh, printed material, is because we know that people give to vision. People want to be a part of something that's on God's agenda, not just a project or some assault on your conscience. I don't want that at all. In fact, I want you to be excited to participate. You know, there's always nervousness around this. It may look easy up here sometimes, but to be honest with you, I was programmed like many of the men in this room were. If you want anything in life, you work for it. You don't ask for it. And and I always have to remind myself that it is not an obligation for me to stand here and ask you to give to the building of God's kingdom. It's a joyful opportunity. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, are you? I'm not ashamed of being a part of a healthy, vibrant church that by no means is perfect, but that God is continuing to bless. Are you? Wait a minute. I'm not ashamed. Are you? 
I'm not ashamed. And therefore, I'm not ashamed as your pastor to ask you to join what God is doing. Because I believe, to the best of our ability, we've been as transparent with you as we can be of what we believe God is calling us to do. And so, when you get to that point in this service where you make a commitment, I hope your heart feels glad and joyful that you've got something to commit. Because what else have you heard? Hadn't heard a single mention of a number, not a goal. Not one of you has been asked to calculate a number. I'll never know what you write on your card. That's between you and the Lord. There's some trusted people who will tally them up. But at the end of the day, even today is just a number on the card. It becomes reality when you give it and keep your pledge. And that's between you and the Lord. And I believe that if every man and woman in this room will seek God's face over what he would call you to do, then you'll always land exactly where he wants you to land. Someone asked me, he said, Preacher, what you want? What do you think? So I'd like to tell you what I want. I want 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Read with me in God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here's what I want. I would call it C and B. First, I just want you to see an example from Scripture. I want you to see an example. This is what Paul's doing. It's masterful. Paul doesn't command or demand anything. Paul doesn't guilt or coerce. He says, I want to tell you what the Macedonian churches did. Now, just to orient you for a moment, Corinth lied south of the area called Macedonia. Macedonian churches were churches like Thessalonica and Berea. And one of the things that Paul was doing in his missionary journeys was spreading the gospel, thus they're called missionary journeys, but also he was receiving an offering to take back to Jerusalem. And here's why. The very first church that was persecuted was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was and has always been in turmoil. It will never be at peace until the Lord returns. Pay attention to what's happening there now. And be reminded that everything you see taking place is an affirmation of the trustworthiness of the Scripture. One day when the Lord returns, he will return at Jerusalem. He will set up his throne there and will initiate peace permanently. But until then, it will always be a geographical place of great tension because there is a war between good and evil happening all around us. And we're seeing that even in the headlines today. Well, Paul knew that the earliest believers who were experiencing persecution in Jerusalem were also the same Jewish believers who wondered, could the Gentiles be saved? Well, when the Gentiles came into the faith 
And that issue was settled by the church in Jerusalem. When they were welcomed in, Paul knew that one of the greatest ways for the Gentiles and the Jewish Christians to really develop a bond of peace was through generosity. You can tell me you love me. You can tell me you care about me. But if my family's in need and you help me financially, I know your words are true. And so Paul would receive these offerings and he would take them up. Now, things in Corinth didn't go real well. In fact, during his first visit, Paul goes and part of his work is to initiate the offering. Not for himself, he didn't profit, but to deliver it back to Jerusalem. But then Corinth began to rebel. In fact, when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you will recognize Paul is not a happy camper. However, by the time we get to the writing of 2 Corinthians, Corinth has repented. They're doing better. They've come back into the faith, and Paul is helping them finish what they started. So in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul revisits the offering, and he's giving instructions. But here's the thing. I love this. He doesn't say, now Corinth, now that you got it back between the ditches theologically, now that you got your act together, you better do what you said you were going to do. He didn't do that at all. Rather, he said, Corinth, let me tell you what they did up in Macedonia. Let me tell you an example to look at. And Paul points out four parts of this example. First, what did they do? Look at verses 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So what did they do? They gave joyfully and abundantly, even in difficulty. One of the things we typically do when it comes to generosity is we say, God, if you'll bless me, I'll bless others. But that's not the way that it works. Actually, the whole faith of giving is not that I give in order to receive. It's that I give monetarily, that I give financially, that I support, even though it may cost me something, because in view of God's great grace, I could never outgive what he's already given to me. And so Paul says, let me tell you what they did. But then he says, let me tell you what they gave. Look at verse 3, verse 3, first part. For they gave according to their means. Well, that's acceptable. I get that. But then watch this. As I can testify and beyond their means. In other words, Paul says to Corinth, Corinth, let me tell you about these churches in Macedonia who are not as wealthy as you. They gave what they could. But then they dug a little deeper. Now, I don't believe this is a proof text for people to be foolish with their money. You have a mortgage. I suggest you pay it. You may have a family member that needs medication. I suggest you secure it. I know if you have children, they suck the living life out of you when you go to the grocery store. But you do need to feed them or social services will pick them up. Then we all have to feed them and that doesn't work. I, I, don't, I don't think you should ever find yourself in a place of religion where a religious leader asks you to ignore your family and your obligations. If you do, you've found yourself into a cult, okay? But at the end of the day, you and I both know that we live in a land of plenty, and there is plenty that you have in your life that you spend on things that are wants and not needs. I just want to always be found investing in the kingdom first then enjoying some of those things in life that God blesses us with. If you throw breadcrumbs at the Lord's work, don't be surprised if you never see him grow you in that area.
But if you'll trust him and invest because you believe, you watch what God will do. But not only does Paul point out what they gave, Paul points out how they gave. Look at the second part of verse 3. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. In other words, Paul says, I didn't have to force them. Look at verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor. See, in my, in my economy of thought, if I need you to do a favor for me, I'm going to gain. Hey, can you loan me 100 bucks? Hey, can you help me? Hey, can I go with you? I'm gaining when I ask for a favor. Paul says inside the gospel, they wanted the favor of giving. They wanted to do it willingly. This is why I'm always sensitive to this, and I told you week one, God's not broke. This is why I'm telling you this morning that whatever the number is, it doesn't change the vision and the direction of our church. The pursuit is set. Now, you'll determine the pace, but the pursuit is set. It's also why new families to our church have been told repeatedly, there's no obligation for you to participate. It is our honor for you to watch us do this. And then if God leads you to become a part of this church, we want you to join us. But until then, anyone coming in today that just needed a word from God, that's what we want you to get, and that's all we want you to give is your attention to his word. There's no coercion. There's no guilt. We want people to give willingly. Is that not what Paul says in the very next chapter, chapter 9? I put it on the screen. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you to arrange in advance for the gift that you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as exaction. The point is this, and then Paul makes that great statement, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul goes on to say, each one, so every family in this room, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, but also not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then finally, Paul points out how they gave. They gave faithfully. Look at verse 5. I think verse 5 may be my favorite of this passage. And this, and this, not as we expected, so Paul says, they surprised me. Now watch. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us accordingly. Paul says, what shocked me wasn't the number. What shocked me was, it was obvious to me that their giving was as an act of worship before the Lord that they were motivated by the master and not the pastor. That, that they longed so passionately and earnestly to honor the Lord in their work. Mom and dad, I hope that if you choose to participate this morning, that you have or will make it a point to discuss it with your children, to talk about why you're doing this, to talk about how people came before you and gave which created space and place for your family in this church. And, and you want to ultimately pay it forward. 
What a great lesson for a five and six and seven-year-old to understand and for you who are managing young adults, as I find myself doing now, to have conversations with them about how even the passions and the education and the goals that we pursue are ultimately just means to an end that we would have something to bring the king. They gave faithfully. Finally, I told you I want you to see an example I close by saying, I just want you to be an example. Look at verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. This is masterful. Paul says, let me tell you what the Macedonian churches did. Now, Corinth, I told Titus, who was going, to help you complete what you promised, just as the Macedonian church did. Now, watch what he does. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. If you read the Corinthian letters, first and second, you will see there is no holding back when Paul gets to areas where they are wrong. He challenges them. I think it's interesting and fascinating that he also never holds back praising and encouraging them. You know, I don't know who it is in your life, but the top five most impactful people to you, I hope many of you could say, well, it was my mother and my father. Some of you can't say that, but other people stood in where they weren't. But if you were to make a list, a handful of people that had the greatest impact on your life, you will tell me that they loved you deeper than others but they also never held back truth from you. They did not just wax eloquently with compliments. They spoke critically when you needed criticism, but they spoke compassionately when you needed compassion. That's the way healthy churches operate. That's the way God's Word operates. I've never been loved the way this book loves me. There is no other source of love I know that is deeper than the love of God is expressed in this book. But I've also never been cut open and revealed of what I really am in any other way than by this book. But I know this, the one who knows me loves me and still knows me. And the one who loves me knows me and still loves me. Paul is saying, Corinth, I'm so proud of you. Look at how you excel. Look at verse 7, he says it again. But as you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and all earnestness and all love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. Church of the Mill, sometimes I take it for granted that I need to say this. I'm so proud of you. You're an incredible joy to be a part of. You are such a wonderful and loving and kind group of people. Now, individually, we all are capable of getting it right and getting it wrong. Everybody has a right to be a knucklehead, and almost all of us exercise that sometimes. But as a corporate body of believers, you are a precious group of the saints. God is pleased and honored by you, and you have not arrived, and I will continue to push you and challenge you as God's Word does. He will not leave me alone, so I'm not going to leave you alone. But you are so faithful and so kind and so consistent and so generous that there's no fear, there's no nervousness, there's no anxiousness in my heart this morning. I am honored to share this opportunity with you. I would just say, 
that just as you excel in love and worship and passion and consistency and generosity and warmth and being inviting to the community, let's show those around us that we also excel in generosity. Because ultimately, it's the people who are not here whose lives are going to be impacted today. You know, I've often said there's something worse than being lost spiritually. It's being lost and knowing no one's looking for you. God did not place us in any other community but this one. But he has positioned us to push back the darkness in a very unique and powerful way. And I believe we've only just begun. In December of 1988, the first group of people known as Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church gathered on a cold Sunday morning and broke ground on the first thing they ever gave to. We call it our chapel now. It's the original building. We still, that building has set a record in the Southern Baptist Convention for being worn out. We wear that building out. If you count, if you zoom in, and I did, you count about 75 to 80 people. You can tell by their vehicle choices that it's the late 80s. Every man's got a tie on. I'm so glad God delivered us from that. But every man's got a tie on, and the little children have their dresses on, just like I was dressed up as a kid going to church. I didn't wear dresses, but as a kid going to church. <laughs> and they gathered, and on the right, Pastor Floyd and three other leaders, and he shoved the shovel in the ground, and they took a picture. Now, in 1988, I, I was 11, and I was growing up in rural Alabama. I had no way of knowing that those 80 people were going to change the entire direction of my life. And they didn't either. I can assure you, had I been able to meet them, they would have not been impressed. <laughs> and it reminded me of something. You know, before we came along, people were given to God's kingdom. And after we're gone, if the Lord tarries, people are going to give. But today's on us. If, if you're obedient, you know what more than ever will be? More than enough. It'll be more than enough. So if you're a guest of ours, if you're only hearing this for the first time, you're under no obligation to do anything but watch. But if you're part of this church and you want to join with Lord and I, I'd like to call us into a time of commitment. You can put your Bibles away, and I'm going to ask our precious ushers to hand every family a commitment card. They're going to make sure everyone has one. The doors of the sanctuary have been locked. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. One per family is fine. You remember when you used to take standardized testing and the teacher would say, please do not begin. Please, if you love me, do not begin. You can take the card out and look at it, but please don't do anything just yet. I'm going to invite my, well, there you are. I was going to invite Laurel out, but she's here. We want to make a commitment with you this morning. 
If you're a guest and you want to take a card just to look at it as an example, that's fine, but you certainly don't have to turn it back in. I'm going to ask every family to have a card, just one per family or giving unit. Obviously, you don't each have to fill one out. If you do that, we'll double it. When you get the card, if you would, go ahead and take it out and you'll see a golf pencil. Notice that we have removed the erasers. Before you do anything, would you just hold the card in your hand? And I, I'd, li I'd, like to, I'd like to just show you just one thing on it. So, so whoever's going to fill it out, if you would if you'd go with me on this. If you didn't get a card, would you run your hand up? Our ushers will get you one right now. Guys, I'm not seeing a hand, but I can miss it. It's a little dark in here. Okay, I think everybody has one. And if there are extras, just hand those back to the usher nearest to you. We'll take those and use them in the next service. So with the card in your hand, before you write anything, can I just show you real quick? The top part's real simple. It's personal information. People change stuff all the time, so don't assume. I checked my kids in this morning. I'm in the system. They've got my stuff. This is a great opportunity for us to make sure. So, so you would fill that out completely in just a moment. Please don't start. And then I want you to look at the three-year commitment. So, so a couple of things. One, some of you have decided on a number, and you're going to give that number weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, or semi-annually, or annually. Others of you may say, I... I want to do a one-time gift. Some of you may say, I'm not sure how we're going to give it, how it's going to be broken down, but this is my pledge over the next three years. That's kind of how Laurel and I do it. We come up with a number, and then she breaks down a monthly, and then as opportunities for me to preach elsewhere and income comes, we, we give that. We've been giving that to building funds for years, and that's a part of our joy. And then if you have something of value, we take Bitcoin, Blue Cross Blue Shield, we, 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 whatever you got. I wish to donate real estate, securities, or other gifts. If you check that box, one of our members will talk with you about how that works. So again, there's multiple ways for you to put this, but the most important thing is the number so that we can have a total as we go forward. So one of the greatest Christ followers I know is also my best friend and my wife. And I've asked her to pray over our commitment time. When she says amen, I'd like for you to fill out the card, slide it back in the envelope, and pass it to the aisle. And then we're going to close with a time of worship. But before we fill out a single number in this room, I'm going to ask Laurel to pray over this time. Sweetheart. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you this morning. God, just grateful for a few weeks where we have been able to pause and remember who you are. God, remember all that you've done for us and the many ways that you have blessed us and continue to bless us. God, and where we have been able to look in your word, God, and to be challenged to continue to be impactful in this community, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the many people who are here today and who will be here later today, God, but we, we know that there are so many others, Lord, who are sitting at home today. And Lord, they, they don't have much hope, and it's been a long time since they've heard your truth mm. or they've never heard it. Mm. And so we thank you for the opportunity that we have to continue to spread the hope of the gospel in this community, Lord. Mm. We pray for wisdom moving forward and the best way to do that. God, we just pray that over the next few months and the next few years, Lord, that there are people who are challenged 
Lord, to give their lives to you, that there are people who who hear the gospel who have never heard it. Lord, that there are people's lives who are changed for forever. And there are people who have access to a church, Lord, that, that looks to you, Lord, that preaches to your word and that loves you and that, desire, that desires for many more people to come to know you and love you. Mm. God, so I just pray that you bless the money that will be given over the next few years. God, I pray that you use it to multiply your kingdom. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you have done and that you will continue to do. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please make your commitment now. up your envelope if you'll pass it to the aisle closest to you we've got a special group of collectors that are going to stand up right now and start taking those a special treat for you about them so just remain seated let them bring your commitment up here and they're going to be placing it to the left and to the right here bring the lights up on the stage Pass them to the aisle. If somebody misses you, just hold it up. We'll be glad to get that from you. Those of you collecting, once you have a few, go ahead. Your sections, you can bring them up on stage. Join us on stage. make their way up and kind of join us here on stage. Remember um, six weeks ago when I shared with you um, what the Lord was doing in people's lives, 
Um, it's, it's a powerful thing to see a screen and a, and a number on a PowerPoint presentation. And that's a good thing. But it's even greater to see the people. You see, behind me are people who have recently professed faith in Jesus Christ through baptism or have recently joined our church family because of their faith in Jesus and because of their baptism. I thought they were the ones most fitting to receive this commitment. Can we give them a hand? Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Now imagine this number times 10, 20, 100,000. Imagine what it will look like when this season of our church comes to an end. And not one place, but vibrant congregations all over this community, deep in exposition, passionate in worship, honest in warmth and commitment to one another, and unapologetic in not moving off the Word of God and getting the gospel to the world. That is worth thinking about. Thank you for what you've done this morning.